If you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, and for extra credit, you can open your Bible also to John 15, um, but if you want to pick one, just do Luke 11. Um, and if you need a Bible, just raise your hands, and some fine ushers will walk around here and bring them to you. Um, thank you, Steiger. What a man, what a morning already. This is, to see what God is doing around the world is encouraging, to say the least. Um, my name is Peter Herzog, and this morning I'm filling in for Pastor Paul. Um, Paul is out today, and like I mentioned last week, um, this NFL star, Taylor Swift, reached out to him and asked him to do some early premarital counseling, <laughs> and some guy who's her boyfriend, Yadi, whatever, but, um, and, uh, the House of Representatives heard about the job that he did, and so they asked him to come facilitate some of the negotiations going on to find a Speaker of the House, so, you know, just keep Paul in your prayers as he's uh, working through all of that, too, so. Um, and also, this is your first time at Chapel Hill, uh, and you don't like today's sermon, that's okay, because I'm just a sub, so please come back next week and give us another shot. Um, and I want to say hello to my 91-year-old grandmother who's watching this morning. I love you, Grandma. Um, okay. In his recent book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, Tyler Statton, who's a pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, he tells this story of when he was 13 years old and he was questioning his faith. And Tyler had a, a mentor ask him, what do you think God would do in the lives of your unbelieving friends if you spent every day this summer walking in a circle around your school in prayer for them? And Tyler's response, I have no idea. And his mentor said, why don't you find out? So, every day that summer, his 16-year-old brother, Tyler's 16-year-old brother, with his newly minted driver's license, gladly got behind the family's car, you know, the driver's seat, and drove him to school every day, where he walked around the school in prayer. I want to read to you what Tyler wrote. I wore a dirt path into the thick summer grass, walking the school grounds with a folded-up student directory in my right hand. And this was back in the day when they gave everyone in school everyone else's phone number. What were they thinking? <laughs> Never once did I use the school directory until that summer, when it became my personal book of common prayer, guiding the whispered words of my uncertain, pubescent voice while I paced around the outside of that familiar building, holding every last name in my soon-to-be eighth-grade class before the God I only half believed in. Something happened to me that summer. I fell in love with the God I wasn't sure was listening. I discovered that I didn't just need God in some ultimate sense. I love this. I liked God. I enjoyed his presence. I looked forward to his company. That's all I knew for sure. And my commentary here, he found what it was like to feel like home. On the first day back to school, 
I went to speak to the principal. I walked into the office. I narrowly avoided the previous two years and came right out with it. I just asked him, can I start a new extracurricular school program, one about Jesus? Well, you need a teacher to sponsor it. Every school club has, a, has to have a teacher sponsor. Find a teacher and you're free to go for it. And that's how I ended up leading a Christian outreach meeting in a fluorescent-lit, white-tiled math classroom in Brentwood Middle School. We met at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday mornings, an obviously convenient time. <laughs> what 12 or 13-year-old doesn't want to explore ex 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 existential questions of origin and purpose before the sun comes up? My entire strategy for hosting these meetings were simple. I'd sit in my bedroom on Tuesday evenings, I'd open the Bible at random to a page somewhere in the middle, pick a paragraph on the page, read it with absolutely no other context or hint of biblical literacy, jot a few thoughts down of my own interpretation on a sheet of loose-leaf paper, and then read and explain that passage to whoever showed up the following Wednesday morning. It was a recipe for disaster, not revival. But... I had one thing going for me. I prayed. I went to school an hour early on Wednesdays to lead that group. So I went to school an hour early on Tuesdays and Thursdays to keep thumbing through that now pocket-creased, heavily frayed, and worn-out school directory, praying name by name for my classmates. My mom, the believer who led me to faith, actually sat me down and asked me to chill out with all the prayer because she was losing too much sleep, taking me to school so early. True story, he says. A couple months into these meetings, so many students were coming that we had to move from the math classroom into the school's theater. And by the end of that school year, approximately one-third of my eighth-grade class had come into a relationship with Jesus in the darkness of the early morning. With all the atmosphere of hospital lighting through the potentially heretical sermons of a 13-year-old skeptic, it's either completely ludicrous or utterly breathtaking to think that in the midst of all the insecurity of a 13-year-old boy, the nervousness of going to the basketball team, the awkward and slightly late arrival of puberty, the sweaty palms of school dances, that there was also the spirit of the living God bending history in loving response to the prayed mumblings of a kid. And not because he finds that kid particularly brilliant or his suggestions on how to run the world innovative, but simply because he finds this kid, in all his insecurity, awkwardness, and adolescent nervousness, to be irresistibly lovable. That's ludicrous. These past few weeks, we've been talking about prayer in the context of our union with God. And stories like these challenge me. Why isn't my prayer life this impactful? My skeptical mind jumps in. There must have been something else about Tyler. He must have been incredibly winsome, charismatic, good-looking, popular, to have attracted so many kids to the Bible study and to Jesus. But then I snap back. Why am I doubting? Do I not believe in the power of prayer? Why am I looking for a natural rather than a supernatural explanation to this story? Well, maybe it's because my own prayers have not felt that powerful lately. Maybe I haven't seen the power of the Spirit of the living God in a while or ever. Bottom line, and I don't know about you, 
but I want to see God's power in my life. I want to have effective prayers. I want to see a direct connection between my prayers and a positive, powerful change in my life and in the world and the people I love. And by the way, there is so much I'm worried about. There are so many things that I'm concerned with, so many areas where I want to see growth and change and protection, so many areas where I want to see God do incredible, miraculous work in my work, in my school, my marriage, with my kids, my friends, my finances, and my health, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my state, in my nation, in the world. I want to see God's power like Tyler did. So question, so far, is this sermon series on prayer helping us get there? And Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And in John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So I would say, given John 15, 7 and 15, 5, we are on the right track. Good news, we're on the right track. Pastor Paul has set us on the right track. If we want to see God's power in our prayer lives, it starts with our union with God. We need to learn to abide. We need to learn to be a branch. We need to get to the point where his words abide in us. And then, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And like we learned two weeks ago, it's crucial that we have the mind of Christ. Why? Well, look at John, James 4.3. It says this. You ask and do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. It is clear that the writer of John and James are teaching us that there is a direct line between the health of our union with God, our abiding in Christ, our abiding in his word, having the mind of Christ, the motivations of Christ, and having our prayers answered. So if you want to see God's power in your life and in your prayers... Everything we talked about the last five weeks is highly relevant. And that's the introduction to today's sermon. For the rest of the time today, I want to talk about what are the other key ingredients to effective prayer. This morning, I'm assuming that our union with God is growing and strong. I'm assuming we're abiding with Christ. I'm assuming we have the mind of Christ. I'm assuming that we are we have and we're building sacred structures. We talked about last week, sacred structures into our prayer life. And that we're building, we're on the path to making prayer feel more and more like home. I'm assuming all of that is a backdrop for today. And if that's not you today, that I would encourage you strongly to go back and listen to those earlier sermons in the series and press into your union with God. So, what else can we say about prayer, an effective prayer? Well, Augustine, or Augustine, depending upon whether you went to seminary or not, once said... He once said this, prayer is to intercede for the well-being of others before God. Prayer is to intercede for the well-being of others before God. This morning I want to talk about intercession. I want to talk about intercessory prayer. 
I love this stuff because I think it's so important for our family, our friends, our city, and our world to regularly remind ourselves about intercessory prayer. What is intercessory prayer? Well, basically, it's what Augustine said, praying for the well-being of others, praying on behalf of others. Let's look at Tyler's story. Three observations from Tyler's story. Tyler was purposeful, he was persistent, and he was personal. First thing, purposeful. Tyler, in his story, set up a sacred structure. He prayed every day while walking around the school. And he says, in that work, he fell in love with God. He started to like God. Through that sacred structure, prayer started to feel like home for Tyler, like we talked about last week. And in that transformation, his posture went from testing to see if God is real to having the mind of Christ and aligning with God's will. Tyler's desires aligned with God's desires while walking around that school. His intention was to reach the school for God. He was motivated to see God reach his unbelieving friends. Tyler wanted what God wanted. He, they were united in purpose. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Powerful stuff when your will and God's will and your purposes and God's purposes align. Number two, Tyler was persistent. He went to his school and he prayed every day, walking around the school. This is so biblical. We have so many examples of this pattern in scripture. It says in Genesis that Jacob wrestled with God all night long until his name was changed to Israel, which ultimately means that they became partners. In 1 Samuel, it says that Hannah prayed fervently and continually for a child for years before God answered. And then she gave birth to Samuel, the guy that anointed David as king and led Israel through some very difficult times. Elijah persistently prayed for rain to show and demonstrate the power of God to the worshipers of Baal. Daniel prayed and fasted for the people of God. He seeks God fervently and persistently for three weeks until finally an angel appears to him with an answer. It's one of my most favorite passages of, on prayer, Daniel 10. Nehemiah mourned and prayed for days, confessing the sins of the Israelites and asking God to grant him favor in the eyes of the king. And Nehemiah's persistent prayer leads him to his eventually rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And finally, Jesus after his disciples said, teach us how to pray, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And then in your Bibles, Luke chapter 11, verse 5, he says to them this. Luke chapter 11, verse 5, he says, when his disciples asked, teach us to pray, he said, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. By the way, stop for a second. I didn't notice until this week that this parable, which I've heard a lot, I didn't realize that actually the character in the story is asking on behalf of a friend. This is intercession. He's interceding for his friend who needs help. 
Back to the story. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within. Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, stop for there for a second, impudence, we need more impudence. What the heck is impudence? <laughs> I had to look it up. One definition was, it was impudence is an attitude that's marked by contemptuous or cocky boldness or disregard for others. I mean, this is like aggressive persistence. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus says, if we want to see our prayers be effective, if we want to see God's power through our prayers, we need to pray persistently, impudently even. Now that we know this word, impudently even. It might take all night like Jacob, or days like Elijah, or weeks like Daniel, or a summer like for Tyler, or years like for Hannah. We ought to pray persistently, impudently, and like Jesus says in Luke 18, and not lose heart. David Pierce, the guy who started Steiger International, always loves to say, nothing, hap- nothing great happens without a fight. And that is so true in prayer. And speaking of David, here is a man that I know well because he's my uncle, someone who I've seen publicly and privately, who has a worldwide influence, and this man has reached the point where he cannot function without a daily prayer walk. I've seen it. It's real. And not only that, David regularly makes his team do prayer walks and do, do these long prayer events before they do something big. They'll often do like all-night prayer meetings. I thought I'd have Felipe come up and give an example. Felipe, can you give him a hand from Steiger? <laughs> Felipe, will you just tell us a little bit about what's going on in terms of like persistent prayer and Steiger and, and the impact you've seen it have? Yes, thanks. I love what you're sharing, Peter. It's so profound, so strong. And you guys, I'm sure you guys heard before that one of the values, the first value we have in Steiger is to seek God. And we can read in Hebrews... 11, that it's impossible to please God if we do not believe he exists and if we do not pursue him, seek him with an earnest heart. And I love that we paraphrase that in Steiger. We say, desperate heart. And I I love that. One of the things that I I was so blessed by our friends in Latin America and Alejandro, who just shared with you guys, is that they... They really do that. They give an example of that, seeking God with this desperate heart and expecting him to move. So here, in Steiger International and here in Minneapolis, we, we create routines of applying that in a very practical way. Every January is a month of radical prayer for Steiger International. We, we do a 24-7 prayer chain. We have people from all over the world connecting and praying together, praying for each other, praying for what we are about to do, praying for bold dreams that God has put in our hearts that we believe in. 
And it's, it's always very powerful. And here in Minneapolis, we close the month with we, what we call hardcore prayer party. <laughs> it's a party you want to come. It's a hardcore prayer party. When we come together for worship and prayer and reading scripture and coming before God with this desperate heart. Now, every fruit, if we, if we have seen fruit and we have, we are so privileged that we have seen a lot of fruit through Steiger. It comes out of these times of prayer. And many, many of the situations that I have personally experienced, they were like this. What are we going to do? I don't know. How are we going to reach this, this particular scene? How are we going to preach the gospel in that particular festival? Where are we going to go when we go to that particular city? We are like, we don't know. So what do we do? We seek God. We say, Lord, guide us. Send us someone. Show us the way. I don't know, but we believe you can speak to us. We believe you will answer those prayers. And time after time, we have seen answers of these prayers. Now, in a story that I lived with my wife in Albania was so interesting. We arrived in Albania, a country we have never been before, with a team, with a Steiger team. And we didn't know anything about Albania, about Tirana. We didn't speak the language. It was just a new place. And we needed direction, so we prayed we prayed, we seek God with all our hearts. We said, God, where do we go? We don't know. We go out of the house we were. We didn't know if we should go right or left. And after prayer, a girl we met in a, in a hotel. We needed internet and we didn't have in the house. So we go to the hotel lobby and we start using the internet. And she came to us and started a conversation. And she asked, like, what are we doing? What? What are you looking for? And we had this conversation with her. And she gave us these directions. And when she was telling us, I know where you should go. These are the places. And she told us the cafes and the clubs and the university. It was just clearly God giving us direction. Where should we go? And those places were the fruitful places we found in our ministry. Every time we have come before God with a desperate heart believing and expecting him to move, he has given us answers. And it's a big privilege that we, we have seen this happening. So I love how you're sharing, Peter. It's beautiful. So thank you. Prayer is to intercede for the well-being of others before God. Last thing here I want to talk about Tyler was he was personal. He prayed through every person's name in that school directory. Do you want to get God's attention? Pray for his people. Pray for specific people by name. Bring specific creations to the creator. Pray by name to the father for the people that he sent his son to die for. You will hit a nerve with God. Pray specifically for people. Keep a list. Pray through it. And press through. One thing I learned about Steiger, thank you, Felipe, for sharing that. One thing that I learned from Steiger was when they would pray in these prayer meetings, they often would be sensitive to the spirit and, and feel like, you know, I, you know what, I feel like we need to keep going. We need to keep going. And they would continue to press into prayer about somebody or something or some event until they felt released. 
So there was this engagement with the Spirit during the prayer time, listening for the Spirit to say, okay, that's enough. I don't claim to understand how that works, but I've experienced that. Another approach is to begin praying for people you do not like. (laughs) This can really mess you up in a good way, but it engages the mind of Christ who commands us to pray for his enemies and pray for those who persecute us, and it's a direct attack on our own selfish concerns. We need intercessors. Is God calling you to be an intercessor? Let me answer that one for you. Yes. Because that's what it means to be human. Since Genesis, we are called to partner with God to be his representation in the world, as image bearers. He's calling you to be an intercessor. One more thing I want to share just briefly is that this. Why? Why do we need to persist? Why is persistence in prayer so important? Just leave you with one thought on this. We, remember, we live in a war zone. We live in a war zone, a spiritual war zone. We need to have a very robust war zone worldview. This is a spiritual battle, and we need to persist. And that's why I talked about Daniel 10. It talks about how Daniel prayed for weeks and weeks and weeks until he heard from God, until an angel visited him, and the angel said, I had to fight to get to you, the angel said, which is so weird. But we need to pray because there is a spiritual battle going on. And to close with this, remember that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for you persistently. Romans 8 says this, and in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Also, Hebrews 7 says this, 24, Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lives forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. If Jesus and the Spirit intercede for us, then why shouldn't we? And think about this way. When you intercede for others, you are joining with the Spirit and with Jesus in that intercession. And that is such a powerful picture. I had a picture in my mind come to, come to light that I feel like prayer is like shining the light on someone. It reminds me of like in the military where you'd have someone, like there's a target and they shine a laser on that target and they hold it there until the mission's complete. My encouragement for you this week is to hold that light Hold that light on individual specific people. Hold that light and shine through the darkness so that God, God's will is accomplished in their life. Pray specifically, specifically for them. My hope today is that whenever you see that flashlight on your phone, you're reminded of this call to hold up your lights for people. Let's pray together. Will you stand with me? Father in heaven, I'm so moved this morning by what you've done today. 
Thank you for the example of our friends with Steiger and all the amazing work they're doing around the world in the darkest of places and how they are shining their light on the lost and the broken. How they are going, going to people who will not enter into a church. They're going to them. Thank you for their example of persistent prayer and, and it's undeniable the fruits of that discipline through their work. God, I pray that you would wake me up, shake me out of my Western mindset and draw me to my knees, Lord. Draw all of us to your knees. Show us, show us where we need to create dirt paths through thick grass. Where we, show us where we need to begin to walk around perhaps like a school, wherever, wherever that is, Lord, in our lives. Show us where we need to persist in prayer. Lord, I believe that there's plenty of evidence here that says if we do that, if we abide in you and we persist, that we can ask whatever we want and you will answer. Lord, this world is so broken hurting. Raise us up, Lord. Challenge us so we can be a part of what you're doing in the world. And God, we just pray desperately, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the church said, amen. amen. Grace and peace. If you do want some prayer, we have some folks up here that will pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you as you leave.